does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Please welcome in Fran Frischilla, ESPN College basketball analyst, joining us here on The Fan. Uh, Fran, you know, Bob Knight passing away at the age of 83. Um, it's a sad day for a yep. ton of IU Hoops fans. What are some of the things that you think of immediately when you think of Bob Knight and your interactions with him throughout the years? Well, they were they were many, and they were mostly great. Uh, some some uh, you know, I, I like many guys. I was on both sides of Coach Knight's uh, good moods, but for the most part, I I, I love the guy. Uh, I stayed close touch with Pat and the family. I knew this day was coming, and um, of course, I covered him out at uh, at Lubbock when I was at ESPN. But quite frankly, Brian, in 1972, I was a 14 year old kid in Brooklyn, New York, and I. I discovered coach Knight when he took over at, at uh, Indiana and um, like many young coaches coach Knight had an amazing influence on my career I will say this to you guys um, there were two men in college basketball who revolutionized coaching over the last 50 years Bob Knight and Dean Smith they were close friends as you guys probably know coach Knight was simplicity and execution do do one thing really well on offense, do one thing really well on defense. Coach Smith was the opposite. Uh, surprise and change, multiple defenses. The two of them uh, had an amazing influence on basketball, and I was just fortunate through the years uh, either as an assistant, uh, and I'm a former Buckeye, uh, where he played, as you guys know. I spent eight years in Ohio coaching, uh, whether as an assistant coach, a head coach, a broadcaster, uh, Coach and I crossed paths a number of times, and uh, I have a lot of memories. Fran, you had a great story that you shared on Twitter last night that I'd wonder if you yep. wouldn't mind sharing it with our audience, a time you crossed paths with Coach Knight back in the 80s while you were an assistant at Ohio. Well, I think it speaks to Coach Knight. You know, we all know, we all saw the uh, the, the fact that the, he was a complicated man, obviously, uh, the tendency to lose his temper to, temper, and you know, the anger management stuff. We all know about that. and some of it, I think, was calculated really from a coaching standpoint, but some of it was real. We know that. But we played as an assistant at Ohio University in uh, it was 84-85 season. I think it was Steve Alford's sophomore year, if I'm not mistaken, coming off the Olympics. And um, we played Indiana on a Saturday afternoon in December. We were constantly at the top of the MAC race along with Miami of Ohio and Ron Harper and that crew. So Danny Nee was, the, was our head coach. He had been a Digger Phelps assistant. Coach Knight and Digger were very close friends going back to their days at West Point. Uh, and Digger was an assistant to Chuck Daly, believe it or not, at Penn. So going back to the 60s, they were very close. So he took a liking to Danny. We get beat 91-76. It was a Saturday afternoon. It was a great thrill for me as a young coach to be in Assembly Hall. And in the handshake line, Coach Knight told Danny, call me tomorrow. I want to tell you about your team. So the next day is a Sunday. I go to church. We meet with Coach Knee at about noon on Sunday. He had just had about an hour and a half conversation with Coach Knight, had about 10 pages of notes on a yellow pad. And Danny proceeded to tell us all the things Coach Knight 
thought that we did well, things we could do better, uh, ways to get other certain player shots. He basically scouted us for ourselves, and we took everything he said to heart. Um, we we implemented it. We wound up winning the MAC that that year, going to the NCAA tournament. But there's a million stories of Coach Knight reaching out to help helping people behind the scenes, whether it was coaches or people in the Bloomington or Indiana community that, uh, you know, go unnoticed because he didn't want anybody to know that. But uh, I always remember that because he was a coach's coach and he was a, what I call a ball coach. You know, if you beat him, if you did it the right way, he shook your hand. If he beat you, he'd compliment you on your team. And I, I always remember that story. Uh, Fran Frischilla joining us here on The Fan What's your best guess as to why that was? I find that fascinating where there could be someone that says, hey, look at what I did, and I'm not such a bad guy, and you guys have me misportrayed in the narrative, and Bob Knight wasn't like that at all. Is that just the way he was, or do you think there's a reason why that's the way he was? You know, Brian, I think we can. We all have, uh, and I've, I've studied this man since I was 14, as I said, uh, 1972, um, I think Coach Knight, I have to say this the right way, I think he's he's maybe the most honest man I've ever known in coaching from the standpoint of he did not care what you thought of him. He at times acted boorishly as a bully. We saw it. I lived it a couple times. I'll tell you an interesting story in a second. But he just was who he was. He wasn't going to take uh, – he wasn't going to have anybody influence who he was. Most of it was for the good. You, if you if you just see the reaction of f- most former players today, he told them quite up, right up front, the four years you play for me will be the hardest four years of your life, but you'll have a friend forever. I think that was basically true for the most part. And um, just to share another story, I was a, I was a, a broadcaster uh, when he was at Texas Tech. I was thrilled to get to know him even better because, again, he was one of my idols growing up. And so um, he finds out third hand that I had said something that third hand he thought, uh, you know, he didn't like. And it was kind of bogus, really. But so they're getting ready, Texas Tech, to play at Kansas. And he tells his SID, I don't want that guy coming to our shoot around on Tuesday. They're getting ready to play KU and Allen Fieldhouse. So I call my boss at ESPN. I tell him the story. I said, what should I do? Should I go to practice or not? And he said, do what you want. Well, knowing Coach Knight through the years and studying him, I said, you know, I'm going to practice. I don't give a rat's behind. I show up at the shoot-around. The team comes walking in. They start shooting. He gives me the evil eyes, looking over at me. At the, I'm at the other end of Allen Fieldhouse. 15, 20, 30 minutes go by. They finally take a water break. He comes barging over to me, and he says, hey, you think we should recruit junior college players? And I said, yeah, Coach, you're in West Texas. There's a ton of them there. He goes, yeah. Me too. I agree. And that was it. Like, it broke the ice. I was on his good side again. And I just think he wanted to test me out to see if I was tough enough to show up at practice. And I think, you know, you hate to say it this way, but sometimes when he was a bully, you'd have to stand up to him and tell him what you thought. And um, I found that to be the case. And we had a really good friendship after that. I visited him out in Lubbock late in his career out there thought it was phenomenal that Karen and Pat and Tim moved him back to Bloomington where he could be among friends family his doctors etc but um, I got a chance to visit with him when he was in Lubbock after he retired spent three hours one day with him and 
I brought him the new Ulysses S. Grant book written by Ron Chernow. He was starting to lose his faculties then, but um, you know, I, I just uh, you know I cherished the top the opportunities to be around him when I was. ESPN's Fran Fraschilla is our guest. Fran, this is a question I'm going to ask all of those that join us today. Where do you yeah. feel he most impacted the game, and where would college basketball be without Bob Knight? Well, as I said earlier, um, he and Dean Smith did more to revolutionize coaching in the last 50 years. You know, nothing's been invented in basketball, uh, unless your name was Newell or Claire B. or Hank Iba. Ironically enough, three guys that had a great influence on Coach Knight. But going back to the mid-60s, to the current age now, Dean Smith and Bob Knight influenced basketball coaching more than any two human beings. And they obviously are two of the winningest coaches of all time. They did it different ways stylistically, but the, 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 but the, the thing that remained constant was just their love of the game, their love of teaching the game. And he, Coach Knight's philosophy of offense and defense is not unlike a Bill Walsh West Coast offense, the air raid with Mike Leach. Um, there are parts of Coach Knight's offense and defense that are probably representative in 80% of the coaching styles today in one way, shape, or form. So he had a huge influence on the coaching community and the way the game is played, the unselfishness, uh, teamwork first. Think about it. Uh, Isaiah Thomas is the only NBA all-star that he coached at Indiana. He did it with guys like Buckner and Scott May and Allen Henderson and Damon Bailey and Todd Leary and even Pat Knight, who wasn't a bad passer, by the way. Um, but he did it with guys that he felt he could coach in his system, and he did it well. And I think that's the legacy from a coaching standpoint. I find that interesting. I'm sure you do, too, from a coaching standpoint. When you compare Bob Knight and Dean Smith, as you said, Fran, and just some of their uh, philosophical differences, it blows my mind that both guys could have massive success being so different with their coaching styles. Is that how you feel about it also? Yeah, well, you know, most coaches these days are a combination of both, you know, like you might be a man-to-man guy, but still play a little zone. You know, you might be a motion, you might be a set play guy, but you got a little bit of freedom in your offense. We see that a lot today in the NBA and the influence of international basketball with big guys who can handle the ball. And uh, you know, it, when if you think about it, when it was the case where his big guys—not necessarily a Kent Benson who was a low post guy—but if you think of guys like Allen Henderson playing away from the basket. Uh, you know, different different players he's had through the years, big bigger guys, I would say, not necessarily centers, but, you know, you had to play, you had to handle the ball, you had to pass it, you had to shoot it if you were going to be really good in his system. So um, most of us who got into coaching then became really a combination in some way, shape, or form of both, and that was the influence. And uh, if you don't mind, I want to just share one more story with you. Sure. Um, when he was finishing his career at ESPN – and as you guys, if you watched, you know he didn't really do a lot of preparation. You know, he'd say the big red-haired kid or number twenty-three's got a screen a little better. Uh, and you got, we all remember that. And uh, at the very end of his career at ESPN, the last part of you know his contract was coming up, and he wasn't going to renew it, or they weren't going to renew him. 
they asked me, I'm like Mr. NIT, you know, I, uh, uh, doing the NIT has always been fun for me because it mostly has been at the garden, by the way, next year, Hinkle Fieldhouse, and that's going to be fun. I hope I'm there. But, um, so they asked me, would you mind doing a three man booth with John Saunders and coach Knight? Now, honestly, guys, Vic Vital knew him better, probably Jay Billis because of his association with coach K, but nobody knew more about coach Knight than I did. I studied this man from the time I was 14. So, I, I said, absolutely, I would love this, you know, and I was close to Pat at the time. and Coach obviously knew me uh, well from you know his days at Texas Tech. So we come to New York, opening game, semifinals at the Garden, a couple minutes in, and a kid takes a bad shot. And I say to Coach Knight, Coach, that's not a shot you to let Buckner take. <laughs> and he looked at me and smiled, and we were off to the races. And uh, later on, I said, Coach, what was it like bringing Army down here from West Point to play in the NIT? And, again, his eyes lit up. And we had a fabulous two days uh, calling games. After the semifinals, he slaps me on the back, as he did so many times from so many people. And he said, that was really enjoyable. And a few minutes later, I got a text from Pat, and he said, thanks for taking care of my dad. Mm -hmm. And it was my way of saying, Coach, I'm going to make you look good you know, even at the end, and John Saunders and I, uh, the late John Saunders, who was such a great man, we were just giddy like kids that we had Coach Knight with us for two nights, and he actually liked doing the broadcast. And he didn't say – he might have said the big red-haired kid once or twice, <laughs> but I, I certainly kind of, uh, you know, was able to set him up, if you will, and it was, a, it was a great moment for me in my broadcasting career. Fran, last thing from me, I know last night you were on the hunt for Prepare to Win, his iconic motivational series back from yeah. 1985. I, I'm sure you've rewatched some of that since then. Does it still hold up, and how much would you advise people from all walks of life, but especially current coaches, to go give that a look from Championship Productions? You know, it took me 25, 30 years to find that video because after we played Indiana uh, in Bloomington, as I mentioned, we watched Prepare to Win at Ohio U before every pregame meal the rest of the season. We have guys 35, I guess it's 40 years now later, almost 40 years, that can still recite parts of that. The mental is the physical is the four is the one. The, uh, uh, in order to win, you got to eliminate the things that go into losing. You know, I mean, that's like etched in our brain. I just retweeted it out from champ championship videos. It's a 20 minute video and it absolutely still stands the test of time today. It's not X and O's. It's just a philosophy of how to prepare to win. And it just gave me goosebumps every time I've watched it. And uh, I think we've got it out in 10 parts on, on Twitter because it's on TikTok. Don't ask me about TikTok, but uh, hopefully anybody who's interested can watch it and, if you're a Coach Knight fan or if you're a fan of the Hoosiers and you go back to those days, you'll understand why he was a great coach. You know, Fran, last thought for me is uh, my first thought to begin the show was when I close my eyes and think about Bob Knight or somebody brings his name up, I don't think of just one particular moment. I think of many moments. But for someone like you who's interacted yeah. with them, had many moments in person, is there one moment that you think of more than anything else? Uh, you know, that, that, that incident with us at Ohio, at, at Ohio U and playing them that day and then him calling us the next day to tell us what we could do better as a team, that probably sticks out because, you know, Coach Knight was a purist about the game. Like He obviously didn't tolerate cheating. He didn't like coaches he knew cheated and won. 
Um, he liked Dan, Danny because he knew Digger didn't cheat. And that was his way of just reaching out, as I said earlier, behind the scenes. I mean, there's so many stories like that. I guess I was lucky later in his life to broadcast, I don't know, four or five years of Texas Tech games and be, you know, be in the coach's locker room, be around the West Point guys who always came out to Lubbock to visit him, getting to know Pat and Chris Beard and getting to know, oh gosh, uh, you know, Stu Robinson and, and uh, Steve, da- Steve Downing and Steve Alford and all the guys that played for him because you have to understand, when I was a guy, young guy growing up in Brooklyn in the 70s, that's who I wanted to play for. It wasn't good enough. That's who I wanted to work for. I got a chance to coach against him at Ohio State where he played. So, as I said earlier, I probably know more about him, honestly, than anybody at ESPN. I don't say that as a brag. It's just that I treated Coach Knight like a historical figure to me, and he made me a better coach on the court and getting to know him in, you know, mostly good opportunities. Every now and then there'd be a, you know, occasional, you know, uh, situation where I, you know, I, you know, he, he'd kind of piss me off if you don't mind me saying, but for the most part, I knew who he was and you know why he was doing it. And uh, I'll always cherish those memories of being around him. And uh, you know, none of us is perfect. So we can, those who want to criticize him can go right ahead. Um, I, I'm like many who were around him that, Mostly good moments, a couple bad ones, but uh, I'd certainly take the good any any day of the week. Well, hey, Fran, really well said as always, man. Appreciate you taking some time and joining us today, and uh, hope you have a great rest of the day, man. Thanks for the time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jimmy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Pleased to welcome in Seth Greenberg, ESPN college basketball analyst. Uh, as we talk about Bob Knight passing away at the age of 83, always sad when there's death involved, Seth, but what a life, man. I look at the life that he had. A lot of living in 83 years. What are your initial thoughts on on Bob Knight passing away. You know, Coach Knight was uh, a unique individual. Uh, he was complicated. He was a brilliant coach, teacher, mentor, uh, an innovator. I mean, you think about his legacy lives through uh, Dusty May, who was a former manager. Uh, Lawrence Frank yesterday made a huge trade in the NBA, a former manager. Mike Woodson, who's the coach at Indiana. You know, Isaiah Thomas, Keith Smart, uh, so many people in so many lives that he touched. Uh, he was a guy that was ahead of his time in terms of how they played basketball, uh, an innovator, whether it was flow going from motion into to their, I mean, from transition into motion, whether it was how they prepared. Just a brilliant, brilliant coach. One of the, if you look at, it, at coaches across the board, probably of any sport, one of the great coaches uh, in the history of our generation. Now, obviously, Sometimes the discipline he demanded of his teams, uh, he did not possess those same traits at times, but uh, you know, it did far more good uh, and impacted his former players in, in, in a way that uh, a great deal of them probably it changed their lives. Seth Greenberg of ESPN taking some time with us here on Query and Company. 
the legacy of Bob Knight from on-court success, Seth, he takes IU to five Final Fours, including in three different decades. How was he able to achieve that level of of success and, and that level of consistency that led him to be the pinnacle figure, one of the pinnacle figures of the sport? Agility. Uh, he had agility in terms of how he played. I thought that he did a great job of player development. I thought that, you know, Prior to the three-point line, he played a certain way. Then, you know, obviously he used the three-point line. Um, you know, what they did offensively actually played into having some of that agility. Um, he was unrelenting in, ter- in relenting in terms of the standard of and the commitment and the discipline it needed to be successful for players. Uh, he did an amazing job of putting players in position to play to their strengths. Uh, his preparation was as good as any in terms of his ability to look at something and then decide what to give and what to take away. And for a person, a guy that was tremendously demanding, uh, he got guys to play really hard. And if you get guys to play really hard, that means you have a relationship with them. And obviously, you know, there are some conversations and stories that uh, where maybe you know he took it a little bit too far. But uh, there's also a thousand stories of you know Coach Knight and his relationship with players after he coached them, that, you know, they all say the same thing. He changed their lives. The discipline that he made them, taught them, basically, paid great, huge dividends in making them successful after basketball, making them better husbands, making them better fathers. Uh, And, you know, I always say a lot of times, it, it changes the cycle. When you That's one of the great things about coaching. You know, you might get some young people that have not had the opportunity to to, you know, be successful unless it was the commitment of maybe a coach demanding that they do the right things and make the right decisions and have the right priorities. Seth, that's such a great statement where getting players to play hard means you have a relationship with them. That is really interesting. And we all know about Bob Knight, the fiery side that, you know, he clashed with people at times. But building off of your point, what were the qualities that Bob Knight possessed that enabled him to have a relationship with his players where they then would play so hard for him? I, I think that I think one thing is he didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. He told them what they needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that he um, they knew that he cared because, uh, I mean, his commitment to those guys, think about the graduation rate. He, you know, I mean, like – why did why did he have that graduation rate? Because you know what? He didn't acquiesce. He made sure that they understood the value of an education, uh, which is missing today and quite honestly, college athletics, because we're so caught up in NIL that we forget to even talk about, you know, why you're really there. A lifetime NIL is a degree. But uh, he never let them lose track of their academic objectives. He held them accountable academically as well as athletically. He held them accountable in terms of you know, decision-making behavior. Uh, and I think what happens is players see that, that guy's helped me get better. He's teaching me life lessons. Uh, he's investing in me and wanting to mentor me. Eventually, the light bulb goes on. And the light bulb goes on, and then you basically give yourself to you know, someone that says, you know what, he wants to help me become a better person. And uh, I think that's what Coach Knight was able to do. Now, look, every coach, every coach has detractors. Every coach as players that, you know, don't appreciate him. Now, you know, coach crossed the line some. Let, let, let's not – we cannot ignore that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he did cross the line, it was probably out of frustration and out of passion and care 
uh, more than anything else. But uh, but he also we cannot ignore. You know, Bob Knight was not for everyone. I mean, that's just the way it was. I played for a coach named Alabama who was Knight's assistant at Army. Coach Lowe wasn't for anyone. I mean, half of my teammates absolutely loved Coach like I do, and there are probably, you know, 10, 20, 10% of our teammates that loathed him because he was demanding uh, and, and he was unrelenting. Uh, so, I mean, you can't make everyone happy, but if your intention in the end, if your intention is good, uh, and that's, I think, Coach Knight's intention was always good. ESPN College Basketball Analyst Seth Greenberg is our guest. Seth, throughout your coaching career, how did Coach Knight impact you and your development as a coach, either directly or indirectly? I think directly. Like my like I said, my college coach was his assistant. Coach used to come and do clinics at Fairleigh Dickinson. I was his, just to highlight of my season, I was his, uh, his demonstrator a lot of times. Uh, when I became when I was a young assistant coach, when I would go through Indiana to recruit, I would uh, always stop by Bloomington back when Jerry Gumblesov was an assistant coach, and I'd watch practice. and uh, Coach would be gracious with his time, uh, which was you know unbelievable for me. He'd let me sit in a practice. We'd talk after. Uh, when I was coaching here in the ACC at Virginia Tech, he would call our games, and I'd send my daughter Paige up to sit with him and. He'd be so funny, he, you know, in the middle of practice, we, we went live on game day, and he'd send Paige uh, down to me and uh, say, you know, Coach Knight said, and he'd say, basically, usually he'd say, you're practicing too hard, you have a game in four hours. Or, and then when Paige wasn't there, he'd, send, he'd call one of our managers up and go, where the hell's Paige? You know, like, uh, but, you know, Coach Knight was, helped set a standard of, you know, the integrity in which you did your job. I mean, that's really the big thing. And uh, and you know, I, I admired I, I admired his his teachings, uh, and he was always good to me. Even when when I was started working at ESPN, he was still working there. Uh, you know, I got a chance to spend a lot of time, did a couple of Final Fours with him, and uh, you know, probably because of Coach Labo, uh and because I coached Pat. I actually coached Pat at the five-star camp way, way back in the day. And that was another great story. So I ended up drafting Pat, playing in the, uh, in the highest league. And, you know, Pat was, I think he was a junior. And, he, you know, I knew Coach from from Coach Lavabo, and he came walking up and he goes, hey, one thing, don't put up with any of his ball. <laughs> you know, just coach him hard and, you know, sell him to you know, shut the blank up. Uh, so... Which was great, which was great. So, I mean, I, you know, again, I had I have nothing but fond memories of my interactions with Coach. I mean, he was so gracious when I used to come in there and watch practice. And, you know, he was demanding. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, that's the way it is. He was demanding. But uh, but he he was a savant, a savant in terms of a coach. And I don't think people understand just how much he loved his players in in his own unique way. He's Seth Greenberg, ESPN College Basketball Analyst, joining us here on The Fan. It's funny, Seth, when you think about a personality like Bob Knight, the stories just don't end. And so if you could share a story with us, maybe something that caused you to laugh out loud, something Bob Knight said to you uh, personally, or, or something that you observed from afar, what's something that comes to mind for you? Well, the funniest is they were do they, they had a, a dinner, kind of a roast of my college coach as a fundraiser, Charlie Dickinson, and he was there. And 
and he spoke, and he loved Coach Lababo. Uh, but uh, he got up there, and Coach Lowe's wife's name was Ruth. And Ruth, she was an amazing woman, just, you know, like most coaches' wives, uh, just did so much that no one would ever see. But only as Coach Knight could do, he got up there and he said, uh, Hey, Ruth, you know, that raspy voice was, some people say you're a pain in the rear. And he, he had this long pause. <laughs> and he said, but a pain in the rear goes away. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting, I'm sitting with Mrs. Lowe, and she's just shaking her head. And I'm like, <laughs> and she was literally, and, and, and he, he like, it's funny. We have a, a group text of the guys that played for Coach Lababo. And, uh, you know, we have all responded to Coach Knight's passing, and like you know, we all said the bottom line is that Coach Coach Lababo, uh, I mean, Coach Knight loved older coaches and respected older coaches. Like if you think about you know, whether he was talking about Claire B or Pete Newell or Coach Iba, you know, he had tremendous. He revered those the the, the, the godfathers of our game, and um, I think that's missing today. I don't think there's enough appreciation for those who came before us as coaches. Mm. Uh, and Coach always paid his respects to those. Seth Greenberg taking some time with us of ESPN and ESPN College Game Day. Seth, this has been the question I've been asking all our guests, and I want to get your thoughts on it as well. Where is Coach Knight's impact most felt in today's game, and where would the game be if, if there was no Coach Knight? Well, like I said earlier, I mean, you think about his impact in the game. Think about all the guys today still are part of this coaching tree that are coaching. Uh, you know, the, 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 you know, I mean, I think that's something that's really, obviously people could say, you know, how we taught man-to-man defense, ball you man defense, shell drills, zigzag, all the buildups that you, you do in terms of, of, of coaching defense. And you say, well, wait, what about in the offensive end? I mean, you know, he, the, the, his ability to teach three, four, five-man motion, he caught them all. They ran triangle stuff in three man motion. They ran, you know, pairs type stuff in, in four man motion with you know, with with, with a maybe not a guy in a ducker spot, but a guy posting up off the block for around one. They would run five man motion depending on he fit everything he was doing to his personnel. So as an innovator, I think that uh, a lot of things that coaches are doing today that he, you know started with Coach Knight. I'm, I still remember my college coach, Coach Labo, telling me. Uh, you know, when he get, get in one of those moods where I got called into the office and he, you know, he told me, you, you little son of a, you know what, when you have your own team, you're going to look back and realize the old man isn't that dumb. And you'll be doing the same things we're doing every single day. And he was right. And I think that's a lot about, say, same thing could be said about Coach Knight, is that uh, in the end, his, his teachings uh, are timeless. I mean, it's, it, it really is. It, it, what he taught never goes out of style. Did you know at the time, Seth, that the offense Bob Knight was running would have this type of staying power? Uh, yeah, because, you know, it's it, well, he was teaching basketball instead of plays how to play. And it always made more sense to me. Mm-hmm. I make plays out of plays. And even now, you know, I, I was at – Connecticut's practice the other day, and you know, you, know, you hear coaches say "play ball," which basically means play play off concepts. 
You know, what are concepts? It's game, the game is a game of two-man game and three-man games. Playoff of concepts, playoff of spacing, playoff of making the extra pass, playoff of setting good screens and then reading the screening action. Don't be a robot. Don't just run to a spot, but, all right, you, you, you know, you're going to read how the defender is playing you. Well, I mean, I don't care even if you've run plays. You better have counters, and you better play. You know, you're playing off the defense. So, yeah, I, I kind of did. Uh, you know, I, it was one of those things I, I never knew a time I didn't want to coach. Uh, so, I mean, I approached the game and and people who I admired in the game in a different way than maybe a guy who's just playing. Uh, I looked at it like, you know, would I want to do this? How would I do that? I mean, I still have a notebook of of notes from different clinics I went to when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. So, uh, and coach Knight was a big part of that because he came to speak at the five-star camp every year. And I would always have a, you know, pick up something from him. Uh, you know, that would, would make you think. Well, Hey Seth, really appreciate you stopping by today to, to share your, your stories and your thoughts on coach Knight. We always respect you, man. And, uh, hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks for the time. All right, you guys behave yourself. Jimmy Cook, behave yourself, baby. Appreciate you, Seth. <laughs> Thanks, Coach. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And regardless of what you think, it's not going to bother me. Yeah, right. Hey, we've got Timmy B on the line right now. Tim Brando from Fox Sports joining us here on The Fan. Tim, thanks for taking some time, man. Um, we've been reflecting on Bob Knight passing away at the age of 83. What are some of your initial thoughts about the coach, the man, all things together when you think about Bob Knight passing away? Well, I uh, I can honestly say at a very influential time in my young career, uh, I got to cover the general uh, at his zenith uh, during his, his greatest years. And I was starting in radio and was um, covering his one of his great rivals, really. Um, in 1979, I was working in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, doing radio, and uh, had the first sports talk show in the history of Baton Rouge. And uh, in 1981, when Dale Brown took his team to the Final Four, that was the first time I ever saw Bob. And, of course, I had not done any games yet at the national level. But I would be doing those games at the national level soon after that, by 1985 and 86. And I saw the best and the worst of Coach Knight and uh, and lived to tell about it and can honestly tell you that um, uh, I came away from what was at the time um, a very um, emotional and difficult uh, moment with him and I'm glad I had it because if I hadn't had that moment with him, I don't know that we would have ever uh, been as close as we were. I certainly felt like um, I was accepted by Coach Knight, but only after we had um, – this is often – this, this story is told by a lot of different people in our business, in, in the media business. Uh, what, what's your first recollection of Coach Knight 
And the answer is, well, we had a big blow up. We had a fight. But afterwards, we were good. We were really good. <laughs> and, and, and that's exactly what happened to me. I was going into Bloomington to do a game uh, in 1987. Uh, it was just after I'd done a Michigan-Indiana uh, game uh, two weeks earlier. And uh, the, the sports information director at the time, Kit Klingelhofer, told me that, that, um, that the practice was open. I could go to it. Uh, Dick Vitale was going to do the game with me. It was going to be Iowa and Indiana, as I recall. And uh, he told me that uh, practice was open. Dick had not made it in town yet. And I went to the practice, and Bob was really upset. His team had played poorly um, in their most recent game since I had seen them you know, a full week earlier on a big Monday, a game on ESPN. <laughs> and he was upset. He took it out on me, and, it, and he threw me out of practice. Just threw me out of practice and, and did so in a very unceremonious way and uh, in an intimidating way. He tried to, he, he did, he tried to bully me. And I, I, I was young and impressionable, 31 years old at the time. And I, I had been told by my old friend, Kurt Gowdy, who was my mentor and someone that Bob looked up to as it happened. Uh, Kurt Gowdy was my mentor and he was a great broadcaster, did the American Sportsman, a show that was around long before you guys were born, I'm sure. But uh, Kurt was tight with Ted Williams. He did Red Sox games, and Coach Knight idolized Ted Williams. So Kurt had told me that when I I worked with or was around Coach Knight, to be prepared, uh, to be strong. And so when he got ready to throw me out, he said, you can get your blankety-blank blank out of here. I stood up in front of his team. No one else was in the gym at the time, and I said, well, it's no big deal, Coach, because no one learns blank by coming to your practice anyway. You run the same blank all the time anyway. And I walk out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I remained composed. I didn't cower. Uh, I cursed right back at him. And I went to the hotel, which was, uh, I think, a Holiday Inn in Bloomington. And uh, as I got to the lobby, Dick was checking in. And I was shook. I mean, I was so uh, angry and, and uh, to some extent, emotional uh, that I was almost in tears. I, I, you know, and Dick went on and on about Bob. He's the general. He's Robert Bucket. He's the greatest, blah, blah, blah. He was, he was in such love with Knight. And, uh, and, of course, I had a lot of friends in the coaching profession by that time. But the very top of that list was Dale, who was like a second father to me. And Dale and Bob had never saw it. I, I told, I told Dick. I said that no good blankety blank. I said he just he tried to bully me, and I didn't let him. And I told him off. And so, so and Dick was quick to say, "Oh, he's just testing you, baby." So he, <laughs> he just did his first game, you know, and, and he, he thought he would intimidate you before the game. He's just, he's just testing you, my man. And I'm like, Dick, you don't understand. He said, well, he said, what did you do? I told him. He said, I'm telling you, that's exactly what you should have done. It's going to be great. You watch tonight. We'll be at the game. He'll walk up to you. He'll give you a pat on the butt and a wink and a nod. You'll know everything is okay. And so we go to the game, and uh, you know he doesn't come out until right before the, the game starts. I'm, in, I'm there a couple of hours ahead of time. But sure enough, right as we were doing our open, and as it, as it so happened in those days, we were on the same side as the benches. So as he was bringing the team out, we were doing our on camera 
Coach Knight walks right up, right behind me with his program folded up as it traditionally always was, pats me on the butt and clenches my shoulder and, and, and basically squeezes it. And I look, Vital is talking, and I look over, and he gives me a wink and a, and a thumbs up as if to say, yeah, man, you were a man. You, you took that. You're, you're okay with me. And we were okay from that point on. Not a problem. <laughs> that, 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 that's a chapter in my yet-to-be-written book, which I hope to get out in the next um, couple of years when I get into my 40th year in sports television nationally, which will be 2025. I, I hope to have the book out by that time, and that'll be, it. That'll be in it. That's almost a chapter, my, my, my first uh, encounter with Bob Knight. Um, that was that was something special. It really was. National sports voice for Fox Sports, Tim Brando. Nice enough to take some time with us here on Query and Company. Tim, we had on Seth Greenberg and Fran Fraschilla. I know you retweeted one of Fran's accounts of Coach yep. Knight last night. We had him on earlier today. And I asked them both this question. I want to get your thoughts on it as well. How is mm-hmm. Coach Knight's impact still felt in today's game? And what would college basketball be without his legacy? Boy, that's uh, all-encompassing. Um I don't think that I don't think that, that the teaching the value of teaching the game would ever be as great today as it is if not for uh, Bob Knight's consummate teaching, which was his greatest attribute. Uh, at no point uh, in a game or or in practice did he not teach. Uh, if if you weren't playing, he was still talking to you. Uh, when you came to the bench or when you sat down, like it or not, you were going to be taught uh, by Coach Knight. I mean, it was schools in session uh, with every one of his games. That's that's the first and foremost thing. And I, I think the other thing is uh, he was really big on decorum. And by that I mean understanding how to play and, and understanding the way to carry yourself as a player, uh, th- those things really mattered to him. You had to look the part to be the part. And anybody that played for him understood that. Uh, and, and so the, the, uh, the, ability to, <laughs> the, the, the ability to set a quality pick, and his, uh, his adversaries would say, or well, the ability to set a moving pick to make sure it never got called. <laughs> 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 would probably be his other great contribution to uh, college basketball uh, as, as, as the game was developed over time. You know, not many people run the motion offense uh, anymore, uh, but, but I think uh, when they do run it, you see some coaches run it. Some will do it just to, to pay homage uh, to Coach Knight. Uh, but whenever I see a team that's playing it, and generally those teams are – uh, coaches that are maybe just taking over a job and they want to get some uh, fundamentals involved in, in the way their, their teams practice the game. And the coaches will almost always instill uh, some form of the motion offense into what they do, into their repertoire of different offenses. And that, that, is, that, that will never leave the game. You don't see it played as much in today's college basketball because – the game is now played more outside in than, than inside out, which 
Obviously, the, that was the way the game was played uh, in, in Bob's greatest years in the 70s uh, and in, into the 80s, all the way up until really the early 90s. So the game has changed dramatically since then. But, but there will always be some form of that uh, that you'll see. And, and his, his, um, his tree, the, the branches of, uh, of, of his coaching tree are still very much alive uh, in the game. And uh, those influences and that impact from those, those coaches that remain in the game. And a lot of them may not be guys that played for him uh, or, you know, guys that, that, that you traditionally think of as Bob Knight disciples, okay? You know, starting with Coach K and then, you know, go down to, you know, Jim Cruz, all, all the others that were once part of uh, his staff uh, through the years or maybe played for him at a given time. A lot of them might be guys that just went now. It would be guys that he met or influenced at a basketball clinic, at a coaching clinic. Mm-hmm. And maybe that kid was a GA at the time. There'll always be a night story that's out there, uh, if not from someone from my generation, but, but, but maybe the Gen X or Gen Y, Gen, you know, uh, millennials even, um, because he was so involved. Uh, in giving back to the game, just as you know, he surrounded himself with uh, the Pete Newells of the world, and uh, and he looked up to them. Well, now all those guys, you know, he was the Pete Newell to a lot of other people as a as a head coach, and then even after he he finished his coaching days uh, at Texas Tech, I got to really spend more quality time with Bob when he was at Texas Tech. I covered his team in the NCAAs for CBS, and and we really shared a lot of conversations back then. He had mellowed somewhat. He had uh, been humbled by what happened with Miles Rand at Indiana, and he changed, I think, for the good in a lot of ways, personally, more so than professionally. He was always going to be intense, and he would always hate to lose more than any other coach I, I think I ever covered, but he had a, 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 an ability – uh, the day before a game at, at, uh, at practice, to come over and really smell the roses and, and visit with the guys that were going to call the game in a way that he never would, uh, you know, back in, in, the, in the mid-'80s when I was breaking into the business. Uh, he carried himself in those days like the big kahuna with all this charisma, but from tremendous distance with media. He became better with guys like us as he got older, and he – and he moved on to Texas Tech. And then when he got into TV and was working at ESPN, I was obviously no longer there working at CBS, but our paths crossed many times. I was doing a radio show on a daily basis uh, for about 15 years. It was televised for a period of time on CBS Sports Network. And I would have him on, gosh, maybe a half dozen to a dozen times a year. Uh, the thing I always did with Bob was I would tape it, though. I would, I'd never have him on live because – Hard breaks. He he never had the patience to deal with a commercial break, you know, or, or, or a host having to interrupt him. You know, he's in the middle of a story. He doesn't want to be interrupted. So I always taped him before my show. And uh, if he if he was as good as I thought he might be, I might run it like uh, I, might, I might record three different segments and run them uh, at different times during the course of that week because he would have so many great stories to tell. Not all about basketball. A lot of times it could be about fishing or hunting or, or baseball with Ted Williams or, uh, you know, you know his love of uh, 
history and, and the Korean conflict and World War II, you know, all kinds of things. He was a really well-read man, a very bright individual, and someone that I valued uh, sharing time and stories with. And so I prefer to, to, to remember him that way. Um, he was very complex, had very bad moments, as, as everyone will document. But for the greater good of college basketball and really humanity, I think um, Bob Knight did a lot of great things for a number of people that a lot of uh, people don't know about and he never wanted them to know about. And those of us that were close and got to be a part of his circle at a given time were able to see that. I wish others had, but um, a precious few of us did. Well, hey, Tim, very well said. Really appreciate your time today reflecting on the life of Bob Knight. And uh, we hope to catch up with you soon, but really respect and appreciate what you had to say about Coach Knight today. Thanks, Tim. You got it. Well, I'm going to get the blank out of here. And if you <laughs> blanking guys don't do a blanking job the next time I'm on, and if you keep blanking interrupting me like you just did, I'll never blank and do this again. <laughs> <laughs> but you say the same blank every time, Tim, so what does it matter? <laughs> it's nothing blank and new, is it? It's, never, it's, the same old, it's the same old blank every time. There you go. That's right. All right, Tim, we'll catch you soon, man. Happy to be on. Thanks, fellas. Thank you. There he is, Tim Brando, Fox Sports. I still watch him with Spencer Tillman calling games, Jimmy. He's still sharp. Still does a great job there. One of the best. Absolutely. All right, coming up next, Matt Taylor, radio voice of the Colts. He'll share some of his thoughts on Bob Knight right around the corner. I'm Brian Noe in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Quarry and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.